that scripture that's on the PowerPoint behind me, let's just take a moment, still our hearts, and listen to the Father. Let's pray. The reality is, God, as we come this morning, we all come with different things that have been happening in this week to us, and it's influenced us to the point of how it affects us in worship, how it affects us in hearing your word. And we are mindful of the fact as we come to reading John 16 at this time that we need you to come breathe your life into us. Would you come, Almighty God, and where there is a lack of life, bring life and growth. Where there's areas in our lives where you need to come, as Jesus explained to us, the gardener is coming with these secateurs to cut. Would you sever those branches that are not bearing good fruit so that, Father, we would bear good fruit to the glory of your name? And also would pray, Lord God, for those of us who are battling with issues, that you would bring healing, that you'd bring encouragement, and that you'd bring change, Lord God, so that we would bear more fruit, because that's what the Father desires. And so, Lord, I want to, as we remember Isaiah declared in chapter 11, that the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. We know that is Jesus. That the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. I ask, Lord, for all of us who have ears to hear, that you grant us wisdom, understanding, counsel, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord as you open your word to us now. In the name of Christ Jesus, I pray. And everyone said? Amen. Thank you very much. Owen, won't you read for us that scripture, please? Thank you, sir. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Thank you, Owen. So in terms of that passage, while well, we just give the guys in the back there an opportunity to just prep and rework the PowerPoints, um, 
part of the question that I want us to ask this morning is, what is essential for you to survive as a human being on the earth? Thank you, Becky. Now, before you shout out, and she's 100% correct, I like that. Well done, Becky. I'm not talking about your phone. I'm not talking about your social media platform. A lot of laughter, yeah, you know what I mean. And for some of you, maybe your parents, a sibling, or a friend. What I'm really talking about, what is essential for you to survive? We got one. Sorry, Angie, did you whisper? Jesus, wonderful. You know, whenever I, I, I heard from the Baptist once, the Baptist denomination, they said, whenever there's a question, just shout the word Jesus. <laughs> so, yes, but I, uh, that's always right, but not in this context. Sorry, Angie. So we got water. So tell me, what is essential for you to survive? Speak to me. Food, yep. There we go. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's better. So yes, obviously what we have is oxygen, water, and food. The truth of it is humans can live for a time without food and water, but when it comes to oxygen, it will be soon a point of where someone actually dies, and a lot of the uh, medical people here in our assembly are nodding their heads because they know exactly what I'm talking far better than I understand. Yes, I'm talking about you, Carmelo. So like humans need oxygen, they need water and food to live. So I want to suggest to you that the Holy Spirit is essential for a Christian to live. Think about that. The Holy Spirit is essential for you as a Christian to live. According to John's gospel, life is found in Jesus. He makes that very clear. We have that from the beginning in John chapter 1. Then if we carry on, we also know because life is found in Jesus, the implication for you and I today as we sit here is every man, every woman who chooses to believe in Jesus has life immediately. That's the implication. But additionally, John also makes clear that it's the Spirit who gives life in chapter 6. And that's part of what I want us to get into today. But first, some background. In his historical biography, John, who was one of Jesus' disciples, and that's just an artistic expression of how John is from Laura Krantz. No one really knows how John looked. When you see these lovely icons, especially in the Orthodox Church, no one really knows who the disciples looked like, what Jesus looked like, or anyone else. But just, if you can bear with me, something to look at and something to get your mental juices going. And he's really writing to second-generation Christians and non-Christians in the region of Ephesus, what we would call today Asia Minor. And in the main, the gospel really focuses on Jesus, who, as the Son of God, works many signs. These signs were recorded by John so that anyone who actually believes that Jesus is both the promised Messiah, Christ, and the Son of God, by believing you will have eternal life based on his death and resurrection. Specifically in chapter 16, which we're coming to, Jesus is in Jerusalem speaking privately to his disciples of part of what we call today Passion Week. He would soon be tried. He would be soon nailed upon a cross. And then he would be dead and resurrected from the dead thereafter. And so in Jesus' farewell discourse, he is telling the twelve of his voluntary departure to the Father. 
and that he will be returning to his pre-incarnate glory that we see in John chapter 1 that John tells, of, tells us of. Did you notice how Jesus' departure results in a very emotional scene in John 16? Over eight different words are actually used to express a variety of feelings in this chapter. I want to just highlight two to help us understand what these disciples were going through. In verse 6, sorrow has filled your heart. Then Jesus says to them in verse 20, you will weep and lament. You see, Jesus' care and encouragement shows how where he was of oppression that his followers were suffering at that point in time. Persecution of Jesus' followers by Jewish authorities had already begun. How do we know that? In John chapter 9, there's a man that gets put out of the synagogue because he believes in Jesus. When God did through his son a miracle in the man's life. It started. Now Jesus goes actually further and he's preparing his followers for increased oppression and also inevitably being killed. That's where this is going. Sobering news if you were sitting with Jesus. What's he trying to do? He's trying to prevent them from actually shipwrecking their faith. In other words, giving up on Jesus. But Jesus doesn't just acknowledge their pain. Sometimes we go to someone with counseling and the counselors will wonderfully explain to you what you're going through and you say, yeah, that's me. But Jesus goes further, doesn't just acknowledge the pain, he actually does something far more greater. He also tells them of the work of the Holy Spirit. He also tells them of this beautiful spirit that is to come, the spirit of God, and what that spirit, the spirit of God is going to do in their lives. And so amidst the disciples' pain because of Christ's departure to the Father, Jesus provides the remedy, the promise of the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 7, he says this, It is best for you that I go, because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. You see, Jesus asserts here, it's to your advantage that I'm leaving the disciples. It's to their benefit. And so notice Jesus' sending of the Spirit is dependent on his going away. And in his going away through his death and resurrection to the Father, they will then receive the very Spirit of God. And thus, what do we have here? The atoning death of Jesus on the cross triggers the inauguration of the era of the Holy Spirit. Now, I used earlier, uh, if you noticed, the word advocate in Greek in the New Living Translation. It's been variously translated. I'm not put on all the versions that we have today, but basically there's helper, comforter, and counselor as some of the variety of translations that you have depending on the version you have. With some, the reality is the understanding of the Greek has actually progressed and we're actually at that point where it's become clearer and it's changed over time. So translators who translate the Bible for us from the original Greek in this case actually have changed the word. It doesn't change the original meaning, but it changed how you and I understand because the reality is some of these words behind me, the three are quite archaic. It's in English we don't speak today, 
and a lot of us don't understand it. So for example, if I say comforter in the King James, I don't know about you, but I think of winter comforter. Pull it over me and oh, it's lovely. That's not the Holy Spirit we're talking about. We're talking about a, a comforter. You get what I mean? Another word that is used as advocate in the NIV, we've got that as well. This is the most secure rendering that we have. And it simply refers to someone who has been called as a legal aid in court. And so, as Gary Berg explains, Jesus is pointing to the spirit's judicial or legal service that he's going to be performing. And in the context of chapter 16, verse 8 to 11, this is very revealing and it should actually inform and determine how our understanding, our very meaning we actually get from the text. You see, the ideas of someone who pleads, who argues, who actually convinces, convicts and instructs according to Alfred Plummer. So the Holy Spirit acts in a legal capacity to the world. What does the scripture say in verse 8 there? It says, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The world, let me start there, refers to all people. But I'm talking individuals here. As I sit around and look at the room, Sarah, Tyrone, as I look around, the Lord's talking about individual people that the Spirit of God is going to perform. This legal service is going to convict then it says here, beautifully, will convict, which points to something like a courtroom procedure where a person has shown their sin and they found guilty. But unlike the courts today, there's no appeal. When God actually convicts you and you are guilty, that's it. There's a full stop at the end of that sentence. There's not dot, dot, dot. But I know that's how it is. I want to say, though, in the light of the Gospels and the New Testament, God, though, is gracious and summons all guilty to repent of their sin. So what is these sins? What is each person's sin that we're talking about? Well, the advocate says this, because they do not believe in me. Who's he talking about? Jesus. You see, the greatest sin is a willful refusal to believe in Jesus. This rejection of Christ is a choice that of choosing another God or self or something else and will lead to eternal separation from God. And so each person is convicted concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, says verse 10. You see, by crucifying Jesus, the Jewish people declared him to be unrighteous. Curses everyone who hangs on a tree. However, the resurrection and ascension in glory vindicated Christ as God's righteous servant. Amen. Thank you, Angie. So we have this wonderful reversal, actually, that's happening here. The Holy Spirit reverses the world's verdict against Jesus and instead declares the world guilty. You see, by putting Jesus on trial, the world actually, without knowing it, put themselves on trial. Then each person is convicted concerning judgment. Judgment will come because the rule of this world has already been judged. 
Jesus' death on a cross and the resurrection defeated the devil. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Now, the truth is, though defeated and condemned, the execution of that judgment is still future, as Revelation chapter 20 says to us. So he's still walking around like a roaring lion. But the advocate reveals that the world is also judged because of its submission to the devil. That's what it means when it says the rule of this world. Because you do not choose to follow Jesus, by implication, you are following the devil. And therefore you are judged as well. So Christ has now introduced us to this title of advocate. But he also introduces us to another title of the Holy Spirit. Let's go to verse 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He's called the spirit of truth. And truth really refers to Jesus' identity as the promised Christ, Messiah, And Son of God, the truth of his words that he explained to us in his life, the actions that he took as the Gospels refer to us, and all that is to happen to him concerning his suffering, his crucifixion, resurrection, as well as his ascension. Moreover, as the scripture says there, he will guide you, tells us firstly that the Spirit guided the disciples also in writing the 26 New Testament books that we have in this day and age. Thus, we can rely on the Bible completely. Secondly, he guided them in their witness about Christ. That's what we see in the book of Acts. It says that he will declare to you the things that are to come. Also, that reveals a kind of a panoramic view that we see the scriptures declaring there. All the Christian life is included in the Spirit's guidance. In other words, Christ-like character In other words, the who of who you are, but also spiritual gifts. In other words, what you would do as you serve before the Lord. All of that and more is included in that phrase. So moreover, says Thomas Hale, the Spirit would prepare them for the future. He would actually, for the great work of establishing Christ's church, he would also prepare them to face suffering and death. And we know historically that every one of the apostles, all of them died. None of them recanted their faith. None of them said we made a mistake. Long obedience until the point of death. Thank you, David. Verse 14 declares, He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. You see, Jesus' mission was to glorify the Father. That's what you read in the Gospels. And what's the mission of the Holy Spirit? To glorify the Son. It's this wonderful thing that's happening in a sense of how the Trinity is working together. The Son glorifies the Father and the Holy Spirit comes and glorifies the Son. And so here Christ explains that the Holy Spirit is self-effacing. I'll say that again. The Holy Spirit is self-effacing. Directing attention to Christ. I like what James Packer says about this. It's a long quote. I can't put it on the screen. I'm just going to read it to you. So just listen. When flood lighting is well done, the floodlights are placed so that you do not see them. 
You're not in fact supposed to see where the light is coming from. What you're meant to see is just the building on which the floodlights are trained. The intended effect is to make it visible when otherwise it would not be seen for the darkness and to maximize its dignity by throwing all its details into relief so that you see it properly. This perfectly illustrates the Spirit's new covenant role. He is, so to speak, the hidden floodlight shining on the Savior. Awesome. Consequently, what can we actually apply from John 16 today in 2023? Now, it might sound like an exaggerated claim when I said in the beginning, the Holy Spirit is essential for a Christian to live. Until you look at the over 50 plus things we are told throughout the New Testament that the Holy Spirit does. Among them, and there are so many, I've only taken literally, it's going to be a bit like a tweet. 160 characters, all I can give you, there isn't time for more, but there's lots. Go and check out your New Testament, it's only 26 books to read. So what does he do? He regenerates people. In other words, we become born again by the Spirit of God. John chapter 3. What else does he do? He baptizes us into the body of Christ, the church, in 1 Corinthians 12. He confirms the truth of Jesus' gospel in Hebrews 2. He guides Jesus' followers in the truth, John 16. He reminds us of Jesus' words, teaches us, and illuminates God's word to Christians. John 14, 26, 1 John 2. He fills us with his spirit again and again and again and again. Ephesians 5, 18. He sanctifies people instantaneously, progressively, and finally. 1 Corinthians 6, Hebrews 10, 2 Corinthians 3, 7, 1, Hebrews 10, 14, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. A mouthful. He gives gifts of the spirit. 1 Corinthians 12. He develops the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, and he helps us to articulate our struggling babble prayers when we don't know what to pray as children before the living God. How marvelous. You see, John's gospel reveals this eternal word who came from the Father and he became flesh. That's chapter 1 of the gospel. Also, it shows the human man, Jesus, who let us see who he was what he did, what he taught in chapter 2 to 19. Lastly, Jesus is seen as risen and with his father in John chapter 16 and 20 to 21. Three pictures of Christ Jesus. This forces us to ask a serious question of ourselves. Whether we accept all three or prefer to take just the man versus the risen Christ. Sometimes the world tells us he was a nice teacher. He was, but he was far greater than that. Simply put, Jesus is not a buffet or some pick and mix where you choose what you like and discard what you don't. We are to accept, we are to believe all that there is about Jesus and who he is. In turn, Christ Jesus had to leave so that the Holy Spirit could come. We spoke about that in verse 7. But Jesus' physical presence could be in one place in one time. But the Spirit of Christ is always everywhere 
at once. Beautiful. You see, he's with us continually and will be in us. That's what John 14 teaches us. Bruce Barton points out the implication of this truth. He says this, God's best time for us to be alive is now. We don't need to dwell on the past or be preoccupied with the future. Some of you need to hear that. I'm preaching to myself here, by the way. God has plenty of work for us and power to help us in this day. John 16, verse 7 and 13 were aimed at the first disciples of Christ who faced persecution. However, I would submit to you that John was also writing to us today. And as Leon Morris says, the work of the Holy Spirit in the church is done in the context of persecution. The Spirit is not a guide for those on a straight way perfectly able to manage on their own. He comes to assist people caught up in the thick of battle and tried beyond their strength. I think Leon Morris is correct when he points out that even if we face a hostile world who resists the gospel, we can cope effectively because of the Holy Spirit. Any one of you feel like your world is a bit hostile? Yep. In the UK, in our unbelieving pluralistic society... All truth is relative. But the advocate still convicts people in the world today concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. We looked at that, verse 7 to 8. Since he lives within believers, his ministry is also to every unbeliever through the church. What is my function? What is my role, John? There you have it. He is ministering through you to the world it's a calling you will have till the day you die it never changes as Bruce Milner points out the advocate challenges this ethical autonomy uncovers the rebellion against God which underlies it and confronts the world with the true character of sin the true meaning of righteousness and the true place of judgment Through the Spirit of God, the human heart is summoned to repentance and then offered the salvation, which is life indeed. Thank you, Jesus. You see, if social media posts, YouTube and TikTok videos are to be believed, it's not about Jesus so much. What is this really about? Love. Amor. Tolerance. Peace. Etc., etc., etc. Consequently, the rule of this world, the devil, uses some of these platforms to drench individuals in his vomit of lies. You see, the advocate is crystal clear. In his conviction of every person, he says, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me, Jesus. See, not believing in Jesus was is and will be the main reason why people will be by their choice send themselves to a place separated from God in hell. I sometimes listen to those TikTok videos where people say, a loving God, how can he send me to hell? And I'm like, you've forgotten. You chose a lifestyle and in his love, he allows you that free choice. 
If the free choice means choosing against him, he honors that at your point of death. And accordingly, you send yourself. He doesn't send you. But because of his love and justice, he has to stick to what he has said. He doesn't change like we do in the world. So it's not the so-called love, tolerance, or whatever else, or any other fad that will save every human from sin. Only Jesus. So my exhortation, my encouragement to you today is choose to believe in him. The spirit of truth will guide us into all truth. That's what we learned in verse 13. In some ways, I want to suggest to you, he's a bit like a sat-nav in a foreign land that shows you the way and helps you to get to your destination through a kind of unfamiliar territory because you've never been there before. Now, I know some of us are going to say to me, John, uh, sometimes that nerves don't work. You know, they get it wrong. I can tell you some good stories. Yeah, I've read them too. I had a good chuckle. <laughs> but we know, even though sat-nabs do and get things wrong, I like what Tony Evans does when he calls the Holy Spirit the steering wheel of your life. For the men there, I chose a Ferrari. <laughs> and all the men said... Oh, there we go. I knew you guys would appreciate it. I thought I'd throw you a bone. There we go. The Holy Spirit says Tony Evans is the steering wheel of life. He directs, he guides, he steers you through life. Now, that's not a maybe and if. That's a sure thing. That's what he does. He will show you through the Bible the greatest truths, how to truly love, truly love, truly believe, truly worship, And truly obey God. Max Turner explains it this way. It's precisely the promised spirit that will mediate the presence and self-revelation of the Father and the glorified Son. We have that in John 14 and chapter 16. So what am I saying? The spirit leads us into a deeper relationship with the Father and the Son. That personal relationship with God is also explained by and based on what the Bible says. Earlier we said the Spirit will guide you in verse 13. And we mentioned that he inspired and directed the disciples in the writing of the New Testament. This is the chief source for treating the New Testament as canon. What I mean by canon, it means the standard. 26 books, that's what the church believes God has given us in the New Testament. But along with the Old Testament, we have the authoritative guide for Christian faith and practice. So the Holy Spirit has really given humanity a number of other gifts that provide comfort and certainty that the New Testament is trustworthy and also not just trustworthy, but actually that it's certain in terms of this is the word of God that is given to us. How do I know this? What are the gifts I'm talking about? Well, firstly, I want to say Christianity is based on an event. All of these the Holy Spirit is involved in. So heads up, here we go. The resurrection of Christ, risen from the dead. Jesus laid down his life and he took it up again, but it's by the power of the Spirit of God. The Spirit ensured that we have over 513 witnesses, eyewitnesses who saw the risen Jesus. Where do I get it from? Go and read 1 Corinthians. Paul explains it. Which court case, 
Aren't you a solicitor or a lawyer or something? Which court cases had 513 people who've been called to testify? Any? Not many. I'd like to hear one. As far as I know, I don't know of any. You've given me a typical lawyer's answer there. I saw that. You're not going to get away with that. He also gave us more than 300 fulfilled prophecies concerning the Messiah, Jesus. Before he was even born. Fact. Rana once gave us a statistic. I think of it as a... If you fulfill eight, it's 10 to the power of 17, if my memory serves me correct. That's the chances of only eight fulfilling all eight. He's fulfilled 300. Awesome God. And he provided archaeological evidence to confirm the Bible's trustworthiness. Lastly, he has made available about 24,000 New Testament manuscript copies Ensuring we know with certainty what was originally written by the New Testament authors. I'm not giving you all the other evidence that there is. The miraculous transmission of scripture through time. Governments has banned it. They have burned it. They've tried all kinds of things. It's still here. You cannot kill what God has decided will live forever. His word. You see, verse 14 says the Holy Spirit directs attention to Christ. I spoke earlier about this floodlit ministry of the Spirit as James Packer describes it. And that continues today. What do I mean? I love this. It is as if the Spirit stands behind us. Throwing light over our shoulders on Jesus who stands facing us. The Spirit's message to us is look at him and see his glory. Listen to him and hear his word. Go to him and have life. Get to know him and taste his gift of joy and peace. Since you and I, Christians, are called to, in our focus, look at Christ and look at his glory, I want to suggest it also provides us with a practical test of how to live our lives. It's simple but effective. We can ask ourselves, will what we are doing, saying or thinking, bring glory to Christ? If it doesn't, it's not of God. If it's true, if doing, saying, thinking brings glory to Christ, then we can be sure it's the Holy Spirit leading us in the way that we are to go. In conclusion, Jesus' planned returning to his Father resulted in him telling us more concerning the Holy Spirit and how it will impact our lives today. So just to recapture what I've said before. Firstly, Christ's leaving resulted in the advocate coming to us. Secondly, the advocate's focus continues as he convicts every person concerning their sin, righteousness, and judgment. Thirdly, the spirit of truth will guide Jesus' followers throughout their lives. And lastly, the spirit will glorify Jesus. 
You see, it's a great time to be living today. Yes, I know we had COVID. I know some of us lost family. That's part of life. Suffering is part of what we call to. It's not easy. It's not necessarily pleasant. Well, not to me. But the truth of it is, it is a great time to be living today. Why? Well, it's because of the Spirit's guidance and help through all those difficulties. So I'm saying to you, let's live in the floodlights of the Spirit and glorify Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Before we carry on, I feel urged to ask you an important question. Do you know this Jesus Christ whom the Holy Spirit is giving all the glory to? Are you in relationship with the living God and are not, as Scripture declares, convicted in terms of sin, righteousness, and judgment. In other words, we are simply as Christians and everyone else who sits here who is a Christian has followed the same path of realizing we were lost without him. We were on a boat that was going to sink and we would die without him and we would be separated in eternity. Fact. We all had to come to the place of acknowledging and saying, the way I'm living my life is not to your glory. I'm not following you, Jesus. I'm not in your camp. And what is he urging you and I to do today to understand that we have to come in relationship with him? His desire and his great love and graciousness is that you would follow the Lord Jesus Christ continually for the rest of your life. In other words, we are simply as say we are born again by God's spirit. God does this, but it starts with a decision that you have to make. It's as simple as that. God honors your free will. If you choose to reject him, that is on you. But I'm urging you to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So I want to ask, is there anyone today who is not in right relationship with Jesus Christ and is following him today? If that is you, please put up your hand. I'm going to give you an opportunity. I see that hand. You can put it down can put it on. Thank you, lady. I do not prolong these things. I give you an opportunity and then I move on. So I'm going to ask one last time. Is there anyone else other than a lady at the back who very kindly has put up her hand, who has not come into relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and is following? In other words, we would simply say, you have faith in Jesus, you're a Christian. Or is it that you need to make the decision? Last chance. Okay, I see that hand. Okay. Can I ask all of us just to close our eyes, just to do business with the Lord? If you're in the camp like I was and came to faith, I would like you to pray for those who have now put up their hands very bravely. The Lord's very clear. If we do not show our confession before man, he will not be mentioning our name before the Father. That's what I understand the scripture says. So we have to take a stand in our faith. It's not a private thing. Despite what the world tells us, we live this 24-7 through the rest of our lives. So I'm going to ask you who are Christians to pray for those two people and then I'm going to lead those two people in a simple prayer. It's a very simple prayer. You can listen and you can follow. If you choose not to, that's fine. Then just come see myself 
or Ron in the front is our pastor or one of the other leaders and speak to them. They would love to have a conversation with you and explain what does it mean in terms of what scripture declares. So I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask you, I'll say a few words and then would you just say and follow me in that. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. Just pray it in your heart or in your mind or out loud, it's also okay. I recognize I am lost without you. I ask that you would come and save me right now. Come by your Holy Spirit and make me new. You said, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, in other words, Jesus, shall be saved. I thank you that you forgive my sins. I've been set free by what Jesus did upon the cross. And I choose to live for him now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you very much. Thanks, Rana.